Millennials are achieving freedom with a new definition of success. Our careers, relationships, education, and even our politics look nothing like our parents. We are repapering the roadmap towards our personal goals and embracing what moves us along the way. We are adopting what works and throwing out the rest. We are tired, but not worn in our quest to get there. I'm Heather Bonaparte. I'm Douglas Bonaparte, and welcome to We Should Be Sleeping. Each week, Douglas and I explore the news and topics that keep us awake. We'll also invite guests to share the way they've done it differently to achieve a new brand of success that's authentic, unconventional, and definitive of our generation. Not ready for bed? Tune in, because neither are we. Learn more and subscribe today at WeShouldBeSleeping.com. Welcome to the first ever miniature episode of our new podcast, We Should Be Sleeping. Thanks for being with us today. My name's Heather Bonaparte, and I'm joined by my husband, Douglas Bonaparte. I guess the best way to start things off is by telling you a little bit about ourselves and what we're doing here. I go first? You go. No, you go. You go. <laughs> okay, I'll go. My name's Douglas Bonaparte. I'm the founder and president of Bonafide Wealth in New York City. It's a boutique wealth management firm that specializes in high-achieving millennials, which I guess kind of makes me a millennial finance expert. I'm a regular in the financial media. I'm addicted to Twitter, and I'm a closeted couch potato. All of those things are true. You got to say them with authority. Okay. What about you? <laughs> Again, I am Heather. I'm a lawyer for a Fortune 500 company. I am Douglas's business partner. I am his life manager. Together, we're the co-authors of The Millennial Money Fix. It's a book about overcoming six figures of student loan debt and finding financial freedom on the other side of it. We actually wrote the book following the birth of our first daughter, Hazel, on my maternity leave, which prompted many people to say what they've said before and many times since. You should have been sleeping. So that's a great segue to our roadmap for what you'll find week after week here on our podcast, We Should Be Sleeping. Yeah. So each week, we're going to begin with some news and topics that keep us awake, the things that we quite literally did instead of sleep. Are we just coffee-obsessed insomniacs looking to impart our anxieties onto you? No. But the more we have grown into our roles as spouses, professionals, parents, and real adult human beings, we've realized just how scrappy we must be to get what we want out of our lives. Where we have to squeeze in an hour to exercise or 20 minutes to debate the news, 30 minutes to write a book in the middle of the night while feeding a newborn. You know, normal stuff. Yeah. This little bit each week will be a glimpse into that for us. What we're reading, watching, cooking, fighting with trolls on Twitter about, all of that. And it's because millennials, we don't work hard to do nothing. We piece it together bit by bit because we want a little bit of everything. That's just kind of what we're all about. So then normally we'll have guests after that. These guests will be folks we admire who will share the intentional ways they've done something differently in their lives to achieve a new kind of success that feels authentic and unconventional, something that's completely on brand for our generation, which means really it's whatever they wanted it to be. Sounds good, right? Yeah, sounds pretty good to me. It did to us too, until COVID-19 trapped us all in our homes, juggling two kids under five and two full-time jobs and the struggles of everyday life all within our home. Fun times. Like everybody else. Right. <laughs> right. 
We also felt it would not be appropriate right this very second to schedule guests on the topics of millennial success stories when so many people and young companies are struggling or are in flux currently given the pandemic. But instead of putting this whole thing on ice until the world settles down, we've decided to bring you some mini episodes of We Should Be Sleeping, just doing what we described a second ago. So consider this a prequel. Yeah, prequel. Prequels are good. Sometimes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's get to it. Yeah, let's go right into our first topic. And it's around canceled culture, right? Right. Okay, so canceled culture is when there is a norm that is getting rejected by society. It could be a practice. It could even be a person, right? Exactly. Yeah, and I forget which publication does it, but they show you like a year in review, top 20 things and people or concepts that have been canceled. Exactly. And anytime there is a brand, an individual, bad actor, or even just a practice where society either feels that it has been completely not in tune or not in touch with current morale and values, or even just with what makes sense, that is when something gets canceled. So we felt like in the wake of coronavirus, consider coronavirus kind of the great accelerant on things that maybe were on the brink of getting canceled anyway, or some other things that have just been widely accepted for a very long time as a norm. But maybe in the wake of this, as we I hate to sound so cheesy, but as we find a new norm on the back end of this, the new normal, the new normal Jeez. will not accept this and it will be canceled. So this week we thought we would just examine a few things things in the food space that are certainly going to be canceled. We came up with some things here that probably we're not going to see moving forward. And the first one that I picked out was family dining. Buca de Beppo? Yeah. Sorry, Buca de Beppo. Sorry, Sorry, guys. But Uncle Michael wants to take you and the family out for a big family dinner. You don't know where Uncle Mike's been over the last month or two. He's sticking his fingers in the angel hair, you know. Yeah, he's, you know, no, he's dipping the bread. That's disgusting. <laughs> he's a real heathen, no that, that Uncle Michael. No, no one's doing that, but maybe they're dipping their garlic bread in the sauce that a thousand eggplant rollatinis was sitting in just an hour ago before your entire family just went ham on it. But yeah, I just don't see these giant trays of food that sit in the middle of the table of like 16 people surviving much longer given what we got going on here. What did you get? Canceled. Done. What do you got? Easy. Buffets. Buffets are canceled. Let us tell you for a moment where we were two weeks before coronavirus completely swept the New York City area. Yeah, like shut us down. We were in Disney World the first weekend in March. So wait, real quick. We might have been some of the very last people to go to Walt Disney World for quite some time, right? Very true. Yeah, very true. And not only were we in Disney World, but we were enjoying some of their finest buffets. Because if you've been to Disney with small kids, you know the character dining are like... They're at that spot. They're like at the buffets. You got Mickey. He's like flipping a quesadilla with his little chef hat on. Some kid getting hit in the face with a Mickey flipped quesadilla. (laughs) My kid's sticking her finger under the heat lamp to pick up a tender, you know, right with her bare hand, despite that the tongs are right next to it. I, the whole time, knowing that coronavirus was looming, I can't even tell you how uncomfortable. My hands were already chapped with the amount of hand sanitizer we used during those meals where we all just kept getting up and going back to the stupid buffet. But it's such a staple in American culture and specifically in the world of resorts and tourism. Forget Golden Corral. You got the vacation scene. 
Right. What about the Disney Vacation Club? Anyway, that's for another day. But buffets, I don't see how in any way that normal practice is something that can be adopted on the back end of this. They're going to have to find another way to price gouge me on the back end of this because there's no way they're going to be able to charge all that money to have people go sticking their fingers on those tongs. $49.95 for your potatoes El Gratin. We'll leave it. Buffets are canceled. Yeah, there's no plexiglass screen high enough to keep them alive. All right. One more. Yeah, one more. Bulk bins. Bulk bins. Bulk bins. So if you've been to a Whole Foods or a large supermarket, you know when you go get your nuts or dried fruit. Loose rice. Whatever it is, you're putting in the bag. It's fun to weigh it out on the scale. You know, like, haha, I'm, you know, I'm a drug dealer of peanuts. No. <laughs> That's so not the way I feel. I actually feel more like I'm a thief of dried mango because oftentimes you've got like a little kid. Everyone with a small child sticks the scooper in. They plop one of those little sour worms on, right? They stick their scooper in there. (laughs) They're just sticking their hand in there. Right in to the sour worms and plopping one right in their kid's hand. Everybody does it. Don't say you don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't say, oh, that's gross. I don't do that. You do that. You do that. I guess also at large markets, there's the big prepared food section. So like between the bulk bins and the buffet section, like this is not going to continue on. Just go get the prepackaged stuff or enter a separate bulk bin area of the store in a hazmat suit where you can go scoop some stuff out. So canceled. Canceled. All right. We're not trying to make everything here negative and, and obviously canceling things. So there's people who are going to like, you know, these things and miss them dearly. Oh, they're going to say you millennials, you killed bulk bins. Yeah. Cancel culture, millennials killing things like one in the same. But Heather and I also thought about some of the things that are going to proliferate here that are going to, we call them trends, right? So things, instead of being canceled, that will be trending and hopefully stick around for quite some time. Why don't you kick it off with the first thing that's emerging out of this pandemic on the food scene that you think would be a trend? I think a wonderful thing that we've seen emerge locally to us are farms and local food distributors going direct to consumer. There have been many more farm CSAs popping up, food shares, protein and meat CSAs that are now delivering on a monthly basis directly to your door, really high quality product that is normally farmed through a middleman and ends up sitting on a shelf at ShopRite for two weeks before you get a hold of it. To have that delivered directly to your door is really taking the economy hyper-local for you and you're getting such better product at the end of it. That's what's so wonderful. And you're supporting the farmers and you're supporting local businesses because we're even seeing a lot of these farm CSAs incorporate products from other small business owners locally into their boxes that come as part of your subscription. It's just this like new, novel, really scrappy way that scrappy in the sense of how quickly it's been pulled together. Just in a couple of weeks, I know that one of these local food shares that I'm a part of has basically sold out their membership. They went from a couple folks in town to a hundred households in town. So that's been really positive. And we've also seen a lot of restaurants. They've been taking their excess food supply and selling it like a grocer, directly to their loyal customers right out of their front door. And it's a way to both get people what they need and a way for the restaurants to stay afloat. It's a trend that's positive. It's something that I'm really excited to see, especially as the head cook in a household that loves... Chef de Cuisine. Yes, exactly. Chef Chef Mickey flipping quesadillas. I'm I'm the chef de cuisine on a cruise ship to nowhere, people, okay? That's right. That's right. So 
kind of piggybacking off of this delivery of a very local fresh food, which surprisingly is affordable, right? It really is. Yeah. There are items we found in grocery store that are actually more expensive than what we're getting. So that's pretty cool. But what I'm alluding to here is now we cook. Heather said she's the chef de cuisine here. I'm definitely her sous chef, but we both cook. And this has really thrown us more into cooking meals for our family. And if you were going out to eat every night, that's obviously extremely difficult right now, right? So this has basically plunged us more into cooking. And that's a trend I'd love to see kind of continue on here where people are getting into this. We really do enjoy eating the food that we cook. But what about the bread makers, Douglas? What about the bread makers? So just side story real quick. I was throwing mad shade at everyone deciding to break that bread all of a sudden. And lo and behold, for like the last three weeks, Heather ordered yeast. There's a massive yeast shortage in the country. We've been criticizing the bread makers. Like bread making is the goat yoga of 2020. It's so hyper trendy. But like on the DL, I've been trying to get yeast for like weeks. She's been a giant hypocrite about this. But listen, anything she gets her hands on in the cooking world usually results in some tailwind for me. So we've we've had bread. Delicious, delicious bread. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> We're working on it. It's a work in progress. Anyway. Moving on. We should be sleeping, but we've been watching SNL at home. We sure have. Yeah. So for any fan of SNL who's been catching this, you know that all the cast members have basically been doing sketches from their home. Amazing celebrities have been joining to do sketches of their own from Brad Pitt to Tom Hanks. Uh, You'll get into one in just a minute that you really liked from just the other week. But what we were noticing and what we were questioning is why is it so much better? Why is SNL so much better right now? I think it's funnier than it's been in three years. Right. Four years. Right. And for me, it was kind of like tragedy sometimes bring out the very best in comedy. And How is that so? It sounds counterintuitive, but like, is this putting the writers and the cast members in a position where like there's so much bad going on out there that it's just squeezing the best out of them? It's causing them to be funnier. I don't know if that's the case or maybe they're always so funny, but they get edited so aggressively and it's so hyper produced when they're actually at the studio. This is like anything goes. Right. I mean, and now the writers and cast members have so much more creative leeway to really just pitch something and go with it. And it's working because we are laughing and the topics that they're going with are just so current. I mean, they always try and do like one or two little current segments at the beginning, but now I just felt like the whole thing was based on issues that I've been dealing with in my day-to-day over the last month or two being home. And it's so relatable that I can't help but laugh. And it's just what we need. Right. So that's a good point. I think that all of us are experiencing something very similar. So there's a much thicker common thread with what's coming out and what they're talking about. So maybe that's it. But still, for me, I think what we're going through is just enhancing things. Like if you're funny to begin with, what's happening right now is making you more funny. If you're philanthropic, now you're giving perhaps more. And and maybe if you're a jerk, you're like a bigger jerk right now. You're doubling down on being a jerk? Yeah. Like this is really just making you that much more cynical and having that much more hate in your heart, I guess. Just like the opposite would be if you're a kind person to begin with, now you're even more kind. I don't think people like really flip to the other side. All right. That's a hot take. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) anyway, check it out if you get a chance. Honestly, it's good for a laugh. And I think we could all really use a laugh. 100%. Speaking of somewhat melodramatic affairs in our own home, was something else we thought would bring a smile to your face because it certainly has to mine. 
things my child has cried over this week, because let me tell you, there has been a lot. But we thought we would share just one tidbit each week, something that our child cried over. This this is all you. Hazel, our four and a half year old, and I love to cook together. As we mentioned before, I, I love to cook. Not the greatest baker in the world. Don't love it, but I do it to appease her because she kind of thinks that she's like she loves it. This world class French baker. It's kind of like a whole persona for her. Anyway, so we've tried a couple times, but we did an Instacart order a week or two ago, and I just put some of those instant Toll House like log. No, it wasn't a log. Oh, sorry. Not the log. It was the sheet, the perforated sheet, the pre-made. Sorry to all of our chef friends out there. Yeah, there's like eight perfectly cut dough circles. You literally put them in the oven. Yeah, that's all you do. Anyway, so I bought those for her thinking, you know, this will appease her. I'll get out of baking. Everyone wins, right? So I said to her that morning, you know, mommy's got some meetings today, but later this afternoon before dinner, we're going to make some cookies. You know, we're going to bake. We go, I finish my meetings, we go upstairs, she's got in her cute little hat, her apron, she's like ready to go, Chef Hazel, and I pull out the Toll House pack, and she goes, what's that? And I tell her, I'm like, these are the cookies, all you do is you just break them apart and you put them right on the pan. I have never seen a WTF look like that on a kid, like if I could have caught the video. You let her down. I let her down bigly, okay? What was she expecting? She was expecting, like, the rolling pin. Dough from scratch. Right, of course. She goes, these aren't from scratch. The cookies aren't hard enough, Mom. We don't have enough to do. I'm leaving, and you broke my heart. And she stormed out and cried for, like, an hour, and I had to make the stupid cookies myself, which, by the way, were delicious. Yeah, they were great. I don't know what to say, but kids, they'll cry over anything. She's special, I guess. You broke her heart. I broke her heart. Toll House, your prepared cookies broke her heart. It was a total life changer for her. She'll never be the same again. End of end of scene. Anyways, moving along here. This brings us to the last part of our first mini episode, which is something that we've been reading a lot over the past three, four weeks. This notion of when parents will ultimately say when, when they'll be comfortable to get their kids back to daycare, right? Right. So. Back when this all began in terms of the coronavirus really spreading its tentacles all over the United States, at least, there was a lot of chatter and a lot of flutter amongst the parent groups in our area saying, when are they going to close the schools? Should I pull my child out of school? And should I stop having a babysitter come? Those are the visceral reactions to an outside threat as a parent. You're saying, what can I do to protect my family and get us to a place of perceived security? But that was back at the beginning of March. And since then, we've all been home, many of us juggling a household with two working parents and the actual strain of supposedly needing to not only care for your children, but educate them, feed them, emotionally tend to them, and to be able to achieve the same level of capacity and productivity at your job with minimal disruption. And for those of us with small children, it is a Herculean task that may not be realistic. So I think that what I find interesting is now we find ourselves in a place, we as parents may have been the first ones to say, 
pull everybody out and take them home. But will we also be the first ones to say, okay, I'm saying when, when do we go back? Or when am I going to break some of the rigid standards that I've set for my family because I just can't take it anymore? Am I going to be willing to have grandma come? Am I going to be willing to bring my babysitter back, even though it's technically not supposed to happen? These are the rumblings now that are starting to happen, at least among the communities that I'm a part of. Right. They're Difficult questions, I think. And to your point, this is what we're just now starting to dive into and big questions we're starting to ask ourselves. I know we haven't even gotten all the answers. We can't answer them. We've tried. We've said, this feels exhausting. When can we get our babysitter back? When do you feel good about her coming back? We really can't answer it because at least for people who make decisions based on data, which is what we try to do, what data? We haven't been provided with enough. So we're basing our decisions on those same visceral reactions that that made me say, let's pull them out. They're not going to school tomorrow. They're done. And that's assuming like just because we as people are comfortable doesn't mean even the organizations of the daycare centers are they're going to have their own timelines and their own abilities. It's crazy. And we'll see. I know where I've set my expectations. Which is where? Next school year. I literally wanted to just go long here. But But so you're talking about school. But what I'm saying is how do we make it from now until school? Let's say we all agree, right? That the best thing would be for the schools and for whatever protocols they're going to have to figure out to make school a safe environment, that we all agree that schools in the New York and New Jersey area, for example, shouldn't open until the fall so that they have the time. Let's all say we agree. But what does that mean for childcare between now and then? Yeah, see, that's a good point because I kind of just bundle it all together here. Like, I, even though our kids, you know, they don't go to public school yet. I think it's, and this is not me putting you, dear, on blast, but you have a very flexible schedule. You have a very flexible job. So for them to say to you, okay, it would be safer for you to continue on with no childcare for the next three to four months until school starts. You'd be like, damn, that sucks, but I'll make it happen. Right. And I think for me, I'd feel like- There's no way. Yeah. I will tell you that the way I feel- every night when I go to bed is that I've accomplished 40% of anything that I needed to get done, whether that's my household, my children, my own personal mental and physical health, obviously my job, all of that, I go to bed feeling unaccomplished. And that's a very negative weight that weighs on your head. It's not something that I'm looking to continue for that long. So then, and I know a lot of people feel that way. So then how do we, when do people say when, When are we willing to loosen up on some of those things that are making us uncomfortable when still to this day, no one's providing us with the data that we need? Is it going to be the same visceral reaction that took us out of society that puts us back in because we just don't want to do this anymore? Yeah. Well, let me just say this. I'll be following your lead on this a little bit, probably like I do with most things, right? (laughs) And I was going to say, something tells me I'm going to be making this decision for the Bonaparte house. You know it. I could do this forever. All right. All right. Anyways. This was fun. What do you say? This was good. Maybe I need to bring more beverages down here for these uh, episodes. What do you think? Yeah, I I think we'll have to make like an on-brand cocktail for next week. Like, I think we got to- We should be drinking. Yeah, we should be. Yeah, right. We should be sleeping, but instead we're drinking. Yeah, I think that's everyone right now. Anyway, yeah, that is. But anyway, thank you so much for joining us. This was really fun. Try and get some sleep, I guess. If you can. If you can or not and stay up and listen with us. All right. We'll see you. Take care. Thank you for staying up with us and checking out We Should Be Sleeping. Connect with us on social media, subscribe to the podcast, and learn more at we should be sleeping.com. We'll see you next time on We Should Be Sleeping. We should be sleeping.